Well, hello there, folks, and welcome to The City Speaks, episode 16, I believe. I never remember. You'd think I should fix that. Well, I have noticed in the last bunch of episodes, and in a lot of episodes in general, I talk about, you know, things that are generally negative. You know, even if I'm giving some way of, like, you know, combating it or, or noticing it or being aware of it or whatever, I'm still talking about a lot of negative stuff. And I'm I'm not in the camp of like, oh, it always has to be positive, you know, you know, my views on that. But I think it is, you know, it's the spice of life to mix it up a little bit, you know. So let's let's talk about something a little bit more positive this week. Um, and that's going to be tools in a toolbox. That's sort of what I'm calling this concept. I'm sure, you know, you could also call it weapons in your arsenal. You could call it golf clubs in your bag. Essentially, it means equipping yourself as best as possible to solve any given problem. And, uh, you know, this has one of the things that makes me really excited about this is that it has a ton of applications and you probably notice from the way that my brain works i like to think very i call it thinking horizontally maybe that's a a thing but being able to extrapolate something and, and find elements of that or parallels in something else lateral thinking a lot of people would call it uh discursive thinking usually is a pejorative but you know whatever um so when I think about tools in the toolbox, I mean, let's start off with the golf golf clubs in your bag example, right? So you have golf clubs in your bag up to, I think it's 13 or 14 legally, and uh, they perform different tasks. There's overlap with some of them, like your iron set, for example, is going to be used on many different shots, and it's really more about the range of the shot that you're hitting. But some, some clubs are very specialty-based. Uh, if you land in a sand trap, you're probably going to reach for your sand wedge. It was developed to solve a problem of hitting the ball out of the bunker because, you know, you can try as much as you want. You're not going to get great results hitting a driver out of a sand wedge. Speaking from experience, I used to golf a bit. Uh, And so the sand wedge is a club in your bag or a tool in your toolbox, so to speak, that helps you solve the problem of hitting it out of the bunker, out of the sand trap. Um, Now, just having it in your bag is obviously a step up from you know a different specialty club like a driver like the example i gave so just having it is going to inherently make it easier but it is not going to hit the shot for you you still have to put in the time and effort to get the expertise to be able to wield the tool effectively and that's why i think this is such a useful metaphor um if you don't practice with your sand wedge you're still going to struggle hitting at it it'll be a little bit easier than hitting it out with a driver but you're still going to struggle um However, if you got really good with your sand wedge and then you didn't use it for a while, when you came back to it, you'd you'd be even farther along the getting good meter graph, if you will, whatever, the getting good spectrum. Um, And it's kind of similar. Here's another discursive thought for you. Uh, I had a boss back in the day who was into uh, weightlifting, not a bodybuilder, but more of like a strongman type, you know, like very, very stocky and, and lifted a lot of weights. Um, not for the purpose of sculpting, but for the purpose of lifting weights, lifting bigger and bigger weights. And he said that if you have a muscle group that you've worked out and you've gotten it in shape or whatever, and then you don't use it for a while. So it atrophies because it atrophies quite quickly. Um, when you go back to reestablish it, it will be easier for your body to reestablish that muscle group. And I think the same is true of muscle memory and, and concept, you know, recognition and things like that. You've swung your sand wedge a billion times. And then you don't swing it for a year or two and you come back to it. You're going to be rusty. That's what that's what that expression is. You know, you got to shake off the rust a little bit, get back into the groove. Um, and there are many, many applications of this. You know, I'm, I'm always kind of whenever I watch stuff, even if it's like I've been binging Saturday Night Live clips recently, and I think they're hilarious a lot of the time. And sometimes they're not very hilarious. And I mean, that's part of a variety show. You do get that variety and it is live. Um, 
But I think the interesting thing about it is that even while I'm watching it, I'm always deconstructing the skit and trying to isolate why I think it's funny. And a lot of people, you know, it's funny because when I talk about this stuff and it was the same thing with music theory, I had conversations with my brother about this music theory. He's like, well, doesn't it stop you from enjoying music because you don't have that magic of like, whoa, like this just sounds good and I don't have a reason for it. But for me, I'm very analytically driven or, you know, whatever left brain, if you want to call it that. I like knowing the reason I like things, you know, I like being able to then replicate it because if I want to make my own skit or if I want to truly understand why I think something is funny, that to me brings another level of joy. Um, and even on top of that, you know, listening to music, I hear a note and I'm like, oh, I hear a chord progression. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I like that chord progression. It, it sounds really nice. And then I break it down. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. So now I know. And when I go to write music, if I'm looking to, you know, have this similar feeling i can use a similar chord movement or something like that and it's just all tools in a toolbox man so even when i'm watching stuff as benign as saturday night live i'm still trying to break it down and, and learn about it and figure out why it's funny and you never know when that stuff is going to be useful marilyn makes fun of me all the time for you know i'll be talking to, to her about whatever has caught my interest today and she's like why do you why do you care about this like what, you'll never need to know this and i was like no i probably won't ever need to know this but it might be nice to know you never know uh, i had a Last summer, I watched a lot of baseball highlights for the first time in my life. I'm not really much of a baseball guy, but, you know, when in Rome, I mean, I wasn't in Rome either, but whatever, they don't have baseball there anyway. Um, so I was watching a lot of baseball highlights, and I picked up on some stats and formed some opinions about players just from watching the highlights. Nothing concrete, because again, it's not like I watched the games. Um, <clears throat> and I went to a family gathering, and it turns out one of my relatives is a baseball fan. I didn't know, and I was able to have a productive conversation where... I knew enough to keep abreast of the topics that we were talking about. I could contribute a little bit. And then I could ask questions where I didn't, you know, where I had gaps in my knowledge because I only watched highlights. And stuff like that is really fun. And you can see that approach if you want to go again. Let's discurse one more time. Be more discursive again. This is the same approach that I uh, talked about in my recent trophy hunting episode where I spoke or my I was talking about my strategies as content creator. The idea behind me earning a whole bunch of different styles of Platinums is that I have all this experience and I can be uh, interesting to talk to about this stuff and, and be able to hold up my end of a conversation. I think that's really important. And uh, you never know when this stuff is going to be useful. I think another thing about tools in the toolbox uh, is that sometimes having more tools is, is not beneficial. Um, and, and I think a lot of people would agree with the statement that some of the greatest creativity comes out of having constraints on you not having the exact tool you need at all times and this is again why being fluent in each of the tools in your toolbox is important because you never know what other lateral transferable abilities skills tasks they can accomplish that they that they have um there's you know classic one that springs to mind early video games were an, an amazing example of this because they had so many limitations whether it was hardware uh, whether it was whatever coding language they were using, whatever. I'm sure somebody who's in that field would be able to talk a lot more about that. My favorite one is that they found out that in Ocarina of Time, Zelda Ocarina of Time, the skybox in like Hyrule Field and stuff like that isn't actually, you know, it's not rendered out that far away from, from Link. So the camera hovers behind Link and the skybox is actually just a box around the camera. Um, and then it's masked behind, if you think about Photoshop layers, you have this like layer of sky that's right in front of the camera, basically. And then it gets masked behind the environment and, and the foreground and stuff like that. And that to me is so cool because they were like, oh, well, we maybe we don't have enough power to render an entire skybox. So we have to make it really small and then we'll just use a trick to make it look like 
there's a, there's a big sky, a big open sky there. But actually, it's just a tiny box around the camera. Learning things like that to me is so fascinating because I think it's very admirable the amount of the amount of stuff that, that folks, especially early game devs, were able to put out, and and all the tricks that they used. And it's fun going on game dev Twitter. They still use them today. Like I'm not saying that they don't. Obviously, we just have a little bit better tech right now. But as a result, I mean, you're still going to have people who need to be creative with their solutions. <clears throat> not to toot my own horn here, but I came up with a pretty cool solution that's just as genius. Uh, it's not. It's it's really silly. So recently, I made a tweak on my OBS overlay for my trophy hunting stuff. Uh, on the bottom, I have my totals for each type of trophy, bronze, silver, gold, platinum. I have the a little static image above each of those with the, the number of them that I have below it. Pretty self-explanatory. And up until recently, when I pressed my trophy hotkey button, um, I would have a little gif of the appropriate grade of trophies spinning in the top left corner for you know two three seconds something like that and then it would disappear and then my trophy total will go up by one um and recently you know i added an input viewer to my stream so people can watch what i'm pressing while i'm pressing it and uh i realized that you know the only place for me to put it was in the same spot as this as this spinning gif so obviously it started to look a little cluttered up there so the solution i came up with was well why don't i put the spinning gif over top of the static image of the trophy and then it was like okay that's a good idea but then the static image is still there so it kind of just looks a little bit gross and messy so how do i how do i make it work with one hotkey press uh of my stream deck so that it disappears like the static image disappears the gif plays and then the static image comes back i could do that first two things very easily because you can you can cue multi-actions uh with 100 milliseconds maximum of delay between them in the stream deck um, so I queued up the, the ding sound playing, I queued up the trophy count going up one, I queued up the hide this picture, hide the static image of the trophy, and play the GIF. The problem was is that if I added immediately another action to bring the GIF, or bring the static image back, it would come back while the GIF was playing. So I needed to somehow delay it enough uh, to wait until the GIF animation timed out. And so what I did was I essentially stacked 18 more button presses after that, and bound that key press to a button that what did doesn't exist is f20 and so my my stream deck is spamming a button that does nothing and doesn't exist just to kill time for the the gift to time out and the static image to come back and the result is like a fairly seamless you know transition and it looks really cool and i'm really proud of it and that was just an example of like well i don't know how to do this you know i have a dynamic background so i can't do any like weird cloning stuff um and so I have to come up with this solution and I, I had very few tools and I, because I'm not very good at this stuff. So I had to figure it out with like a creative solution. I was really proud of that. I was like probably unjustifiably, you know, very proud of just sitting there like, yeah, I'm kind of a genius. Call me MacGyver. You know, you give me two multi-actions in a stream deck and I can, you know, but uh, that's just another example of it. Um, you know, in keeping with video games, uh, I had uh, I did a trophy recently of Titan Souls, the speedrun trophy of beat the game in under 20 minutes. And I watched somebody's video on how to do it, um, you know, the order of bosses to fight. But what I noticed was that their overworld movement, you know, between the bosses was kind of sloppy. Um, and I noticed this because I have a speedrunning background and this is what helps me, you know, I'm, I'm more conditioned to look for these things than the average person because that's what I spent a lot of my time doing when I was streaming and my early stream and, and even pre-stream, I was really into speedrunning and I was doing it myself for a while with different games. So I sort of have the, the not the muscle memory, but maybe the mindset of like, oh yeah, like, well, here I could do a slight optimization, blah, blah, blah. And in my run, I ended up dying like eight more times than the guy I watched did. 
But my overworld movement was good enough that it saved enough time over the course of the, the run where I managed to snag the, uh, the trophy. I got, I got 19 minutes, 32 seconds. I had 27 seconds to spare. What a beast. Um, and a lot of that I credit to, I had a couple strats on bosses that worked really well, but a lot of that I credit to just my own, uh, you know, overworld movement and optimizations and, you know, how long is a roll? And when you roll down the stairs, your character gets locked in the rolling animation. That's the fastest you can go. So you want to like max distance roll, just get over the lip of the stairs. So you keep rolling. So you get maximum distance in minimal time, stuff like that. It's, it's simple stuff. It's not, I'm not saying this is freaking rocket science, but I think, uh, you know, having experience in speedrunning and watching speedruns and watching people who do it helps me, uh, you know, hone that mindset where I can be looking for stuff. I'm sure I could look at my run right now and be like, well, that was terrible. You know, you bonked there. That was bad. You died to this boss like eight times. That was bad. But that's the point. You have these tools in your toolbox. You can go back, you can iterate and get better. I recently made a little thing, you know, this is coming across as me, you know, trumpeting myself a little bit too much. And uh, I'm sorry if you don't like to see me do this in a public place, but, um, I recently made just a little thing, a little basic thing uh, in a video editing software. I made something that was uh, maybe a little intro for something or a template for an intro where, you know, it's got this sort of like almost James Bond effect where it's a, a, everything's black except for a circle that illuminates and moves around the screen. And then at the very end, it goes to the middle and blooms open so you can see the whole picture. Uh, kind of kind of James Bondy. But I put my own little sting behind it that's about seven seconds long and I had to do a whole bunch of of uh things with with uh, video effects and graphic well not graphic design but video effects you know pick my own font try and make it pop pick a background make it look pretty i got a little like masked area where the gain gets pushed up so it looks like it shines a little bit at the end just little things like that and it's it's very amateurish like it's not anything that's going to win any awards for being in a marvel movie or something like that those people are incredible but uh the cgi stuff they do is just absolutely nuts but I'm starting and I'm starting from somewhere and I'm trying to add tools to my toolbox. Um, I meant to, I've, I've meant to, as I go along, repeat that every single time I talk about it, but you know, with speed running, you know, tools in a toolbox with optimizations, blah, 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 but I haven't. So with this video editing stuff, it's all about for me, tools in the toolbox. I might never be a professional video editor, but if somebody wants me to throw something together for them, or if I, more importantly, if I want to throw something together for YouTube or anything like that, I've picked up enough skills and I'm elevating my product over time. And I think that's really important. Um, sort of, this is sort of a segue into a, a minor topic that I want to touch on today. More recently, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter uh, saying, you know, don't go into content creation. It's really not safe. It's not secure. You're not going to blah, blah, blah. Um, it's been sort of, and people will quote tweet and be like, yeah, totally. You should never go full-time. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's been full-time streaming since 2019, I'm, uh, I'm a little miffed about that. Not on a personal level, because, you know, I can think for myself, but it does bum me out that people are actively discouraging people rather than, uh, and we're going to make this positive, I swear, rather than encouraging them, but in a safer way. I think my take on the whole thing is like, yes, it's incredibly risky to do full-time content creation. It requires some luck. It requires a ton of hard work, a lot of self-starting, and you might never succeed. You have no guarantee of success to, regardless of how much work you put in. This is something I talked about in a video I made in 2020, early 2020, before my stream blew up. You have absolutely no guarantee of success, regardless, pretty much regardless of how much you can give yourself better chances, but you can never guarantee your own success. Um... So, but knowing that and, and being comfortable with that allows you to understand how I think, how you should constructively think about 
a career in content creation, especially for the young kids. I think teaching this to young kids is really important. I think you want to get them in there. And if they are interested, you want to help them along. Be like, hey, listen, it's not going like you don't have to be like, oh, it's going to be easy, bro. Just follow your dreams and like reach for the stars. And like, even if you miss, you'll shoot the moon or whatever. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is you should encourage people to do stuff, but in a realistic way. You know, one of the things that my dad was really good at, my mom does this too, but she's a little bit more like, no, don't do it. Um, my dad is a little bit less like that by default, unless he can tell that you haven't thought it through. And then he'll be like, no, don't do it. Um, but when I talked to him about streaming, he asked a lot of really helpful questions. You know, what what are your goals? What do you want out of this? When I did my first four months, he was like, that's a lot of money you're spending. So what are you trying to get out of this? You ha- You should probably draft some goals. Not for me. You know, obviously I showed them to him because he he did his own business thing for a while. So I wanted to see if my goals kind of lined up with something that was uh, reasonable. But of course, he had no no insight into the streaming and content creation space. So it was he could really only advise me like general concepts. But he has offered me a lot of good advice. Like, what do you want to get out of this? Have you thought about this? What's your exit strategy? And that one to me, the exit strategy is probably, I would say, in my opinion, the single most important thing to think about. Um, when you're planning out a career in content creation, because if you want to go for this stuff, man, go for it. It's very fulfilling to try and, and live out a dream. I think everybody would, or a lot of people would agree with that. As long as you've thought it through critically, be under no illusions that you're going to blow up overnight. If it happens, fantastic. If it, if it, if it happens, great, but don't plan on it happening. Don't plan on winning the lottery, you know, do your best, buy your lottery ticket, try and make your best educated guess and uh, continue to be, this is where the metaphor kind of breaks down, continue to refine your strategy, but always be aware that you have basically no chance of winning the lottery. And that's not meant to discourage. It's, I think there's help. uh, I think there's something very healthy about being realistic about it because then you get to learn how to exist and you don't end up, you know, two weeks in you, a lot of kids. I, I talked to a lot of kids who wanted to start a content creation career. And I would ask them, you know, I would ask them these questions. My dad asked me and they would always, you know, either brush it off or some of them would think about it. But for the most part, they would just be like, Oh, I'm just going to like start my Minecraft channel. And I'm just going to release, like, I'm going to release five videos a week. And then I'm going to stream eight hours a day on top of that. And I'm going to stream something different every day so that somebody has blah, 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 blah. And for me, I wouldn't sit there and be like, well, my experience that hasn't worked, so don't do it. I was like, okay, give it a whirl. But so what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? What are the, what's the plan? You know? And, and I think as we get to be young adults and, uh, or even older adults, I think that's still a great question to ask. If you have a family and you, and your family needs this money, you know, and you have a job, like a good job that pays you well, and you've built your lifestyle around that, is it a good idea to immediately drop it all and go into content creation? No. Not because it's content creation, but because that's just not a great idea. If you wanted to drop it and go into crypto or acting or music or some other risky proposition, it's just not a great idea. You better have a ton of money saved up. You know, you better have a way back into really successful work that you had before uh, in, in, on the off chance that maybe your your burgeoning NFT career doesn't pay off. You know, thinking about this stuff is very important. So I don't like seeing people actively discourage stuff, just like I don't like seeing people. I saw a post the other day that was like, if you don't have an XLR, like 200 plus US dollar microphone, like you're not going to ever make it in streaming, basically. And it's like, wow, I mean, are the microphone guys giving you kickbacks? Like, what kind of post is that? You know, again, having constraints, having shitty audio will force you to learn how to treat audio better. You know, if you have a really cheap USB mic and USB mics are good nowadays, but if you have a really cheap USB mic, you will probably have to learn how to compensate for that. 
And at the end of the day, as a lot of people responded to that post, which is very encouraging, it's your content that's going to make or break you. It's not how good your mic is. Obviously, it's important. And there's a I think there's a baseline that most people would like because if your mic sounds like you're d- screaming directly into it with no compressor, no limiter on it, it is going to sound pretty terrible and people are, it's going to be abrasive to the ears. People are not going to want to listen to it. Same thing if your video quality is like 144p in, in the year of our Lord 2022, <clears throat> 2023. Um, people aren't going to want to watch that because it, there's there's just better out there. So it doesn't matter how good your product is. So there is a baseline. But if you're streaming at, you know, 720p60, 1080p60, and your microphone doesn't sound like it's inside your mouth, which is also a garbage disposal, like you're probably fine. And it's more about your content. So I don't like when people focus on the superficial. I don't like when people actively discourage stuff. Get out there, man. Try it. Go for it. But if I was a parent or if I was in a in a mentor position to a young aspiring content creator, I would absolutely be like, go for it. But think about, so what are you doing in your life right now? You have school. So, so make your stream schedule around school, but don't book yourself too tight. Maybe try not to book yourself too tightly. And um, what's the plan? What are your goals? Help them set up short-term goals because we all know that those are very, very helpful for long-term goals. You want to, if your long-term goal is be a successful content creator, you probably need some short-term goals. Um, I personally, and how I would differ from a lot of people is I would move away, especially at the beginning of, of met, a metrics-based approach. Don't make too many goals based on metrics. Make goals based on output. What are you putting out? Are you happy with the quality? Um, you know, what, what type of content do you want to, do you want to focus on stuff? Do you want to be a variety streamer? If you're a variety streamer, how are you injecting that key novelty into your stream, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many good questions to ask. So I think that just saying like, don't even bother is, is not the right approach. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that as somebody who's having a massive amount of copium because I am trying to do full-time content creation. Although that certainly is convenient that it is the case. It is a risky proposition. And the more I, you know, the, the more I've thought about it and the more I think about my future, especially as it relates to, you know, my relationship with Mary Lynn and things like that, the more I wonder if it wouldn't be better for me to back off a little bit and, and either go, go back to part-time work or find a full-time gig or whatever. I don't know. The future is crazy. I don't want to stop streaming, but at some point I also have to be realistic about it. And even if I have a full-time job, I'm not going to stop streaming because that's what I did for like a year, two years. I had a full-time job and I streamed six nights a week. Would it be six nights a week now? I'm not sure. Um, but either way, I don't, I, we should be encouraging people to try stuff, but encouraging them in a smart way. Don't just blanket saying like, oh, you shouldn't do it because it's risky is, is similar quality advice to being like, oh, do it, shoot for the stars. You know, it doesn't tell you anything. It just says do it or don't do it. And it gives you some very like flimsy, technically correct, but very flimsy justification for, for doing it. Shoot for the stars is a great idea. But you got to be realistic about it on some like cautiously optimistic is how I would describe it. Don't be so, don't have your head so far in the clouds. I get like this sometimes. Don't get your head so far in the clouds. You think everything's going to be hunky dory. When I when I was a musician, uh, when I was in a band, I was a drummer in a band and I was I wanted to be famous with that band so bad. I really and to this day, I, I love the music we created together. And I think it was fantastic. And if things had gone differently, maybe we maybe we would have had a big break or something. But I think the interesting thing about that was I was so gung-ho about it, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. And granted, I was like 21 at the time, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't life-ending stuff when the band eventually broke up, but it, it bummed me out, and I realized that I didn't have any other goals. I didn't have a backup plan, I didn't have, not even a backup plan because I didn't, I, I was still working, like I didn't quit my job, but it was, uh, you know, what else was I supposed to do? How was I supposed to fill this time and find creative fulfillment? 
Um, and a few failed YouTube experiment, uh, experiments later, I landed on Twitch, you know, years down the line. So it's amazing all this stuff works. Um, but that's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, tools in your toolbox, man. I think it's super important. Try and you don't always have to do it. I'm not saying be a, be a psycho like me and be constantly thinking like trying to, you know, reverse engineer SNL skits. Like that's, <laughs> if you want to check out at the end of a long day, go for it. But I think always be, tr- be aware of, of what you're doing and what it, how it can help you. You know, I think it's, it's nice. It's nice to be able to be like, you know, this is the job I've done for a long time. So maybe I could use this skill set in, in this other scenario, you know? I speed ran Donkey Kong 94. That helped me get a speedrun trophy f- seven years down the line in, in uh, Titan Souls. You never know when this stuff is going to be useful. And yeah, trophy hunting, useful, it has pretty large air quotes around it. But my point being, if you want to accomplish your goals in your life, dig into your toolbox. And if you don't have the right tools, go find them. Go find them. We've got nothing but time. Um, obviously, things can be busy, but w- time is what we have the most of in the world. Um, your life is the longest thing you'll ever do. So you might as well enjoy it and make the most of it and try and have fun with it. I hope you guys enjoyed the more positive slant on this episode. Uh, this idea came to me in a fever dream, um, because it's something that's important when I was thinking about making this little video intro or whatever, that was very much my idea. If content creation doesn't work out, I've got a portfolio of, I I will hopefully have a very nice portfolio of stuff. I want to offer my services as a, I don't know, music writer or, video editor or multimedia guy or whatever, I will have a portfolio of work that I can show, you know, I've got tools in my toolbox and I can use them. So I think that's pretty fun and it's a pretty useful thing. I think that can be applied across all walks of life. I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thank you all for listening to my podcast. As per usual, find me at Spark City, at the Spark City on Twitter, excuse me, or my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Spark City. Uh, and uh, let me know what you think. Let me know if you uh, if you agree, if you disagree, what some of your favorite tools in your toolbox are, how you use them in a creative way, uh, how you can laterally apply them. Let me know all that stuff, man. It's it's such a good exercise, I think, for all of us to really think about. It, it also might help you build some confidence, too, because we've all got it somewhere. We've all got this somewhere. But anyway, thank you all for listening. Love you all. Have a great week ahead. Stay safe, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.